real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. Leading brands like NPR, Shopify, and the LA Times are using audiograms to promote their podcasts on social. They're turning audio into video with animated captions and stylish waveforms. You can do it too. Sign up today at getaudiogram.com forward slash podseam and get 10 free video credits to start. Select a template, upload your audio, click export. It's that easy. Again, that's getaudiogram.com forward slash P-O-D-S-E-A-M. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today was fed up with the corporate world and ready to start his own business, but was worried about quitting his nine to five and becoming a solopreneur and if he'd be able to pay his rent. And that is when he decided to build his own tiny house on wheels. Welcome to the show, Ethan Waldman. Hey, Sarah. It's good to be here. Well, thanks for being on. This is an interesting topic, I think, because I've always been kind of interested in tiny houses and I'm always seeing like photos and I'm like, oh, that's so cute. And could I pull that off? So I guess you got interested initially in tiny houses because of like what my intro said, it was a way to reduce your rent. And I also read on your website that you're able to build without permits and park without paying taxes. Can you explain that? That is still true, although it's becoming less true as the tiny house movement gains some legitimacy and being more widely known, that's becoming less true. But yeah, just to back up that statement, in the bad old days, essentially, you're buying a trailer, which is a vehicle. So it's registered with the Department of Motor Vehicles. And then you're building, you're just putting something on top of that vehicle. It's just a load on a trailer. And so there isn't really any way to charge property tax for that because it's not a permanent structure. It's not affixed to the ground. And then the same thing with the building permits. You're not building a a house that's attached to the ground. You're just building a thing. And so you don't need permits. Now, all that said, as tiny houses have gained in popularity, are seen as a great way to solve some of the affordable housing issues and cities around the country are starting to legalize tiny houses. Legalizing tiny houses also comes with they're going to pay property tax based on that. And they are going to have to meet some safety codes. Building permits still not necessarily required, but passing certain codes and safety things are required. So if it's on a trailer or has wheels and you can move it around, how do they decide where you're paying property taxes to? Because if you're like switching from state to state. Yeah, it's really complicated. I think the cities that are legalizing tiny houses are doing it with the assumption and the hope that the tiny house comes and parks and then stays. Not that it's something that you're going to be moving around constantly. 
Because once you leave that city, then you're no longer really, you're not living there. You, you can't pay property taxes. You know, the people who are traveling in their tiny houses and staying either in people's backyards or in people's driveways or in RV parks and campgrounds, they're not paying property taxes. They're using their tiny house more like an RV. So I guess the difference then between a tiny house versus an RV, a camper, uh, all those different things is that it's, I, I guess it doesn't have an engine in it, first of all. And I guess it's more of like a, a house versus, I mean, could you consider a bus or some people travel by van now? Could you consider that a tiny house or is it just strictly referring to? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, so in a lot of ways, tiny houses and RVs are very similar because they're a house built on a trailer on wheels. The way they're built is very different. So RVs, it's right there in the name recreational vehicle, they're not designed for full-time living. Anyone who's lived full-time in an RV will tell you, you know, the insulation's not great, the ventilation's not great, deal with moisture in the winter, and tiny houses are built like single-family homes. So they're usually stick-framed, so they're built with wood studs and, and wood sheathing although there are different building techniques. And so they're just built more like a house. They're built more to last. And then your your second question was kind of around people living in vans or school buses. So like the word tiny house means a lot of different things to different people. I think that vans and buses kind of fit under the tiny house movement umbrella, but they're pretty distinct in terms of who is doing it and what they want. The van life movement is very different from the tiny house movement. And the legalization efforts for tiny houses don't really include vans or school buses because the vans and school buses are vehicles, period. Whereas the tiny house that's built on a trailer is kind of in this gray gray area. That makes sense. So I've thought about at some point doing the tiny house thing, but I wasn't, I'm not sure like mm. what, if I want to do the van or the, the actual tiny house and all that, I guess what would be like the pros and cons of the different types of tiny house living or sure. mo mobile living where you can move your house around basically? Sure. I mean, I think that it all comes down to just how much mobility you want. A van is going to be really, really easy to move and completely self-contained. And if you want, pretty stealth, pretty inconspicuous. So if you want to be on kind of a nonstop road trip, a van is a great option. Obviously, they're quite small, so it's going to be even tinier than your normal tiny house on wheels. And then the school bus, I mean, if you need more space, like if you need something that is as big or bigger than a tiny house but that is also a vehicle and is mobile. The, the school bus route can be pretty cool, but prepare for eight miles per gallon and very expensive repairs. Mechanically, keeping a school bus on the road can sometimes be a, a tall order. And then when you move up to your, I'm going to say traditional tiny house on wheels, then you've got something that can be moved, but is not in any way convenient to move. And there are some people who are traveling with their tiny houses on wheels, but I wouldn't recommend it as if travel is your goal, then I don't think a tiny house on wheels is necessarily the, the greatest option for you. Okay. Yeah, that helps kind of narrow things down. So like as far as plumbing, electricity, heating, air conditioning, even cable and internet, all that stuff. How does that work with a tiny house? The answer really is it depends. There are some tiny houses that are built completely off-grid, self-contained. So they've got solar panels, batteries, water harvesting, water storage, compost toilet, everything so that they don't need to plug into the grid 
at all. And then there are some tiny houses that don't have any of that and they have to be parked somewhere where there's a septic system or electricity, water, all that. And so when you design or buy a tiny house, you think about those things, hopefully in advance of how you want to use it and just plan for it. And what is the average size of a tiny house? They're getting bigger. So when I built mine in 2012, it's it's a 22 foot trailer. And that was on the big side of what was around. Now I'm on the, I don't see, you don't see many tiny houses that are 22 feet. They're now more like 28 feet, I would say is about average. And so that's 28 feet long. And on the outside, the maximum width for towing would be eight and a half feet wide. Oh, okay. How many square feet would that be? 200 or something like that? Yeah. I mean, like a 28 foot tiny house that's eight and a half feet wide on the outside. Don't forget that that's on the outside. So on the inside, it's probably more like eight feet wide. So, you know, 28 by eight is 224 square feet. Okay, yeah. I, I've noticed that like a lot of people have it or there's almost like a second level or like a loft, I guess, to maximize yeah. space. So before we started, you said that you had built a, a tiny house and were living in it for a while, but not anymore. How did you decide to, I, I guess you still own the tiny house? Okay. Correct. And so, but it was getting too tiny or what? I wouldn't say that it was getting too tiny. You know, I got married and the the person that I married already owned a small condo in Burlington, which is where I lived before I built the house. And, you know, for a number of reasons, it made more sense for us to live here than to live there. And so the tiny house really then just became a really great kind of escape for us. We rented some land up in the mountains near great skiing and would spend a lot of time there just doing the things that we enjoy doing outside. Do you ever like rent it out on Airbnb or anything like that? We haven't yet, but I very much want to. You know, the landowners, so we were renting a spot, weren't keen on the idea. And so hopefully this summer, if if I can get it all together, we're going to look for a, a little piece of land somewhere. So that way, it's just something that we own and then we can do whatever we want. And Airbnb would definitely be Great. We love the tiny house, but we it's, you know, right now, certainly it's being a little bit underutilized by us. And so we'd love to share it with people and let people experience living in the tiny house. Yeah, that might be a good investment opportunity. I wonder if people go around building tiny houses in different parts of the country and rent them out on Airbnb. Like that's their whole thing, maybe. Yeah, there are some companies that do that. There's a company called Escape Travel Trailers that I think has a program where they'll essentially, I think they'll lease you a tiny house and help you kind of set it up as a rental. And then they get like a piece of the of the profits. And then I know there's a company called Tenter that does these kind of They look very Pinterest worthy, like white cloth tents on a platform. And again, same thing, like you host the tent and then they help you basically rent it out, kind of glamping situation. So there are some companies that have sprung up doing this kind of thing. That's interesting. So how much does a tiny house, like what range does it cost to put one together? You asked me this question at kind of a strange time because the cost of lumber and building materials has gone up enormously throughout the pandemic. We're talking a sheet of plywood that used to cost $10 costs $50. So costs are, it's hard to even tell you an answer because costs are going up so crazily. But, you know, if you're hiring a reputable builder who builds tiny houses to build you a tiny house, 
I would say you could expect to pay anywhere from sixty to ninety thousand dollars. If you were going to build one yourself, and you know you're going to cover all the labor, and you're just going to cover the cost of materials. Again, with the increase in cost of materials, this is more of a ballpark. But I would I would guess between thirty and forty in materials. Mm. So prior to the pandemic, it would have been like half that or even less? Not necessarily half. I mean, professionally built tiny houses have always been more expensive than ones that you build yourself just because there's hundreds, if not thousands of hours of labor that go into it and people have to make, they have to be paid for their time. For example, my tiny house back in 2012, the materials costs were about $25,000. Okay. So that was... Nine years ago. And you put the whole thing together yourself? I did most of the work, but I, I was a novice carpenter. And so I was going so slow that I realized that I might never finish if I didn't hire some help. So I found a great local carpenter who worked with me a couple days a week to just kind of teach me and get me started on each phase of the project. And then there were certain parts of it that made more sense to hire out. So for example, the roof, I, I hired a roofer to put the roof on and I hired a company to do the spray foam insulation because that requires some some special equipment. Mm, okay. Yeah. About how long did it take for you to build the whole thing? 13 months. Okay. And how does insurance work then on a tiny house? So early on, it was really difficult to get insurance. Now there are a couple of companies that are doing it and they're essentially able to write you a homeowner's style insurance policy for your tiny house. It's not cheap. I mean, ironically, the homeowner's insurance for our tiny house costs way more than the homeowner's insurance for our condo. Oh, wow. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a less known risk. There are fewer of them and it's, I'm not going to deign to get into insurance actuarial risk tables, but they have a pretty good idea of how much it costs to insure a two bedroom condo in Burlington, Vermont, but they might not have as good of an idea of what it costs to insure a 200 square foot tiny house on wheels. Yeah, that's true. So is it like there's companies now specifically for that, or you could just go through any insurance? No, there's a company that I work with called Strategic Insurance. They're based out of, I think they're in Fort Collins, Colorado. They do lots of different kinds of insurance, but they happen to jump on tiny houses early and they're kind of like one of the tiny house insurance companies. I don't think that you can yet get tiny house insurance through your standard progressive state farm. Like you can't call them up and say like, hey, I want to get insurance for my tiny house. You still have to seek out a specialized company, but there are they are out there. Okay. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. And do you see the trend of tiny houses continuing to increase? I mean, it seems like minimalism is becoming more and more popular. Mm -hmm. So I, I would think that it would continue to increase. I don't see it going anywhere. If anything, this year of the pandemic has only just accelerated things greatly. There are more people are suffering and needing needing housing than ever. And I think that the pandemic pushed a lot of people toward tiny house living who maybe were thinking about it or dreaming about it. But this for whatever reason, just kind of was a bit of a catalyst for the movement. And I wonder if it would be a good way to house like homeless people. I mean, they probably wouldn't need top of the line tiny house with all the bells and whistles. But I wonder if that could be a solution, I suppose. 
Yeah, there are a number of really great examples of this around the country. One is this reverend named Faith Fowler, and she was actually on my podcast. I think it's episode 19. So you could go to thetinyhouse.net slash 019 and hear the interview with her. They are, I think they're in Detroit. They're essentially, it's a model to give away tiny houses to homeless people. But there are tiny house villages for homeless in in Seattle, Eugene, Oregon. It's happening all around the country. And and yes, you know, they range from just very simple shelter all the way to like full on built on a slab foundation like small house. It's a great solution for homeless, but then also for people who are just making maybe less than the median income and need affordable housing. Mm -hmm. So when you quit your job to start a business and then moved into a tiny home, did you find that it was a lot more affordable? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I guess that it was it was complicated a little bit because like throughout my build, I continued, I quit my job, but I, I was able to kind of leverage that into a consulting gig with them. So that was helpful because it actually, my house went way over budget. And so that like really helped me cover the budget overages. But yeah, it really not renting an apartment or house and just having cheap tiny house parking was huge. So if someone doesn't have all the money up front to pay for it, is there a way to get a loan specifically for this kind of thing? That's still kind of the Achilles heel or one of the the things that we haven't quite solved yet is that you can't get a mortgage, a traditional mortgage for a tiny home. So what people are doing and what professional builders are able to do is to essentially allow people to get essentially an RV loan for a tiny house. But the thing about RV loans is that they are they're more like auto loans than they are like house loans. So they're, you know, they're five years or seven years and the interest rate is quite a bit higher. So so that payment is not going to be cheap. Unfortunately, for a DIY build, there isn't really an established way to pay for that. People get creative in all kinds of different ways. If you already own something, maybe it's taking out a line of credit against that. I know for a while, Home Depot had a credit card. It had like 0% APR for three years for up to $50,000. So like you could essentially like buy your tiny house, all everything at Home Depot and pay it off over the course of three years. I have heard, and this is just anecdotal, there are some smaller credit unions locally that will give loans for tiny houses. But there's, to my knowledge... Right now, there's no like national bank that is giving out tiny house loans. Okay, that's helpful yeah. to know. So then with your website, it's thetinyhouse.net? Yeah, thetinyhouse.net. Okay, and so what do you help? I know you have like a couple of books and whatnot, and you have the podcast. So what do you help people with in that process? I really see myself as a tiny house educator, helping people go from very little knowledge about building and building systems and designing a house to being ready to start building their tiny house. My main guide is called Tiny House Decisions, and it walks you through exactly as the title says, all the decisions that you have to make to build a tiny house. What heating system are you going to go with and why? What are you going to use for your building envelope? Conventional framing versus steel framing versus SIPs. These kind of this or that kind of questions is what I take people through. I don't teach people how to build. 
because I'm not a professional builder and I have no business teaching people like proper construction techniques. I mean, I I learned it for myself, but I'm more on the education side of helping people understand the systems. And then I also, I run an online community called Tiny House Engage. And it's basically a group of people who are either planning, building, or living tiny and just supporting each other inspiring each other, just providing a community online for people who are are really interested in, in tiny houses. Oh, that's awesome. Is that like a Facebook group or through some kind of third-party platform? Yeah, I, it was a Facebook group for a long time. And then about two years ago, I just really didn't like being on Facebook so much. And I also found that the posts in my community were having to compete with the Facebook algorithm to be seen by the people who are paying to be in my group. And so I moved to this platform called Mighty Networks. Mm, Yeah, I have a Mighty Network. I just started a community there. I think on your website, didn't you also have like blueprints or something? Yeah, I do offer the plans that my tiny house plans, if you love my tiny house specifically, like I do sell the plans. Okay, awesome. Well, cool. I appreciate your time today. I answered some questions that I've had and I'm sure other people, especially as frugalpreneurs, I mean, that's one way of cutting expenses and being able to run your own business on a budget is cutting your housing expenses by quite a bit. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other piece of it is that even if you're living in a tiny house or a smaller space frees up a lot of time, it frees up time because you don't have to spend as much time cleaning the house, maintaining it, but also because it's less expensive, you don't have to work as much. So for somebody who is looking to maybe leave conventional employment and make the leap to self-employment, a tiny house can help really ease that transition because it, it might make it so that you don't have to work 40 hours every week to afford your life. Because it's a lot of pressure to say, hey, I want to start a business. I want to be an entrepreneur. And I need it to pay for my entire life as it stands right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. The house that I'm in is like 1,500-ish square feet. So it's pretty pretty Uh small for a house anyway. And sometimes I feel like it's too small, but then I'm like, but yet I like these tiny houses. I feel like I could go smaller <laughs> and then have less stuff and less cleaning, like you said. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, if people want to learn more, they can go to thetinyhouse.net. And then I'm also going to have show notes with the links to your books, the guide, the podcast, which is called Tiny awesome. House the Lifestyle Podcast at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash tiny house. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Sarah. I appreciate it too. Be sure to grab your free copy of my list of 27 tools, resources, and software programs I use to run my businesses on a tight budget. You can get it at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash 27 tools. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash 27 tools. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.